The Courage to Lead, Episode 83. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I am in, uh, excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Peter Christian. Peter Christian was a founding partner and president of ESPI, Enterprise System Partners, Inc., a business consulting firm in Northeastern Pennsylvania. Previously, he was an executive at Crayola Corporation. He's worked for more than 300 clients in business development, profit improvement, operations, IS selection and implementation, and project management. Peter has over 40 years of experience in strategic and facility planning, continuous improvement, and supply chain. He's helped companies to realize millions of dollars in cost reductions, profit improvements, and retaining thousands of jobs. He has authored the Amazon best-selling business book, What About the Vermin Problem? and Influences and Influencers, as well as articles published in a variety of professional magazines. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No, it's great. I've been uh, looking forward to our conversation here. Definitely want to learn about your time at Crayola. That sounds like it would be a, a pretty interesting. And I'm a, my background is in supply chain also. Um, so I've got experience supply chain and manufacturing. So I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. Lots um, to talk about. Lots to talk about. All right. Before we get started, though, Peter, I've got some questions to ask. These are questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where James Lipton, the host, asked these questions of the Hollywood stars on his show, the stage, TV, and film stars. And I figure if these questions are good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. Well, thank you. <laughs> Glad to be in that company, I guess. Absolutely. All right. So if you're ready, question number one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word? Um, I would say Family. Nice. What is your least favorite word? Um, failure. What turns you on? What turns me on? Uh, when my sports teams do very, very well, <laughs> I get very excited. <laughs> Not that that means anything to me because I don't get paid or share in any of this stuff. But, uh, um, but when I have very successful uh, engagements with clients and they get what they hope for or even more than they hope for, that's a real turn on to me. Absolutely. Um, what turns you off? Uh, the opposite of that. When I have a difficult client who doesn't want to do what they're recommended to do and they fight with you and, and, they, and the engagement turns out not to be as successful as it could have or should have been. That's to, to me very disappointing. Absolutely. What sound or noise do you love? Um, a baby cooing. Okay. Uh, my dog when he kind of coos and purrs and, and stuff. So I think they're very calming sounds and, and shows contentment. Very nice. Um, what sound or noise do you hate? Uh, very loud sounds that are surprising, uh, you know, where I'm, I'm taken back by them, uh, cause I wasn't expecting it. So uh, that that's kind of a jolt. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite curse word? Uh, rhymes with Dan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
pretty close to it. Off by one letter, but. Uh. <laughs> um, question eight, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, I'm intrigued by the legal profession. Uh, I think if handled correctly, uh, it can be very powerful and, and can be done for a lot of good. Uh, so I, I like to listen to things uh, from a legal standpoint and, and understand why they occurred and how they occurred and how they're applied. So it's very interesting. Cool. And what profession would you not like to do? Uh, the medical. I just couldn't handle some of the things that folks have to go through. I'm pretty squeamish about things. Uh, as interesting as it is, I know I just couldn't couldn't hack it. So uh uh, as intriguing as it is, that's uh, one I wouldn't want to get into. All right. All right. And finally, Peter, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Come on in. <laughs> You're welcome. Come on. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got started, um, your time as an executive, and, and what you learned from that, and how you're now carrying that into your consulting and, and work. And we'll talk about your books. And at some point, we're going to talk about courage and leadership. Sounds all good. Right. Okay. Look forward to it. So we will get back to all of this in just a minute. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I am back with my guest, Peter Christian. Peter, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. So tell me about your time um, up up to you know the Crayola Corporation. How'd you get started? What was your your engineering, or did you have an engineering degree? What was your degree? I have two engineering degrees. I have a bachelor's in industrial engineering from Rutgers University and a master's in industrial engineering from Lehigh University. Very nice. So I was definitely interested in engineering as a uh, career and uh, and uh, studied it uh, at those two wonderful institutions. Nice. And so um, tell me some of the other places you worked did you use your industrial engineering degree right out of school? Uh, well, I was working while I was going to school uh, in the uh, time that I would have off. I was actually working for a con uh, contracting firm. Uh, the owner there thought I was going to go into civil engineering, hoped I would. When he finally realized that wasn't in the cards, and we kind of parted ways. So I got to work for about oh six years uh, during summers and breaks and so forth uh, in the construction industry, which was very interesting to me. Um, and uh, then I had uh, another job as a, a, a an industrial engineering intern with a company that did printing plates. Uh, when I graduated from school, I went to work for Air Products and Chemicals as a an engineer there uh, working on bid proposals. Uh, we actually had to bid for the work that we did even within the company. Uh, we didn't just get to build whatever uh, equipment uh, we had uh, because uh, we were part of Air Products and Chemicals. So I put those together 
And then when the bid became successful, I would put it together as a budget and I would manage the budget over the, the time frame that uh, uh, the project was in force. So I got to do that. Um, when I left there, and that was about a year and a half, maybe two years uh, of work. Uh, and then I went to Crayola Corporation uh, as an industrial engineer, started as an industrial engineer and worked my way up through the ranks through into uh, kind of a, a special engineering that where I was working for the design group as a special mm -hmm. projects person. Uh, then I became a project engineer, manager of project engineering. Uh, into operations, quality, research and development. So I had a variety of different uh, opportunities while I was at Crayola to, uh, to experience a lot of different things throughout the company. Wow. And how long were you at Crayola? 15 years. Nice. Very cool. And now you, you've used a lot of that experience, right? Uh, working with your, your, your clients that you've had. Tell me about some of the clients you work with as a, as a consultant. Yeah, uh, and it was interesting because I had an opportunity coming out of Lehigh to actually work as a consultant for Price Waterhouse. It wasn't Price Waterhouse Coopers at the time; it was Price Waterhouse. They had a manufacturing section, even though they were mostly known for accounting. But I didn't feel that I had the experience that uh, I needed in order to go in and tell seasoned professionals what they should or shouldn't be doing. After my experience through Air Products and, and through Crayola, now I felt that I had the experience, the uh, knowledge base uh, in order to tell people uh, what I thought and, and how they could improve and, and so forth. So um, when I left Crayola and got into the consulting world, that became a uh, uh, certainly a, a big uh, plus for me. Uh, and the reason I got into consulting is because uh, I was told, hey, you know, quite honestly, a lot of the work you've done over the course of working for companies has been project oriented uh, and it has been consulting on an internal basis to the companies to make improvements and so forth, even though I was involved in day to day operations as well. Uh, so it seems like a natural to do that. So that's what I did. And uh, that's how I continued and and. I would say ended my career, although I'm still kind of working, even though I'm retired. But um, that was kind of the progression to, uh, to to get into the consulting world. Yeah. And there's a, a certain mystique around consulting. People don't, they think that you have to be the most knowledgeable person in the room. And I consulted for almost 30 years. And I know I was not the smartest person mm -hmm. in the room, but I was able to ask the questions and see things from a perspective that maybe the executive team didn't see. They overlooked. They were too involved in the day-to-day -day that they couldn't see what was going on. So my naive questions actually turned on some light bulbs for them. And I think that's that's right. part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the plus of a consultant is they should come in unbiased. Uh, they should not have a dog in the fight, as we like to say. Uh, so there's no... <clears throat> Uh, going in with a preconceived notion about what should be done. They can look at it uh, without having been involved in the fray, so to speak, of, of what's been going on. Uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll bring that um, knowledge and an unbiased opinion to uh, the organization to help them, that, that they can be on the outside looking in and say, I see what's going on and here's where I think the problems are and, and what we need to do to, to, to solve it then. Yeah. Um, too often when you're involved internally, you get caught up in 
the politics, uh, you know, we've always done it this way before, or you get pressured by somebody to say something or do something that you might not totally agree with. A good consultant doesn't allow that to happen. They tell the client what they really need to hear, what not what they really want to hear necessarily. Sure. Um, and, and that's where you, you earn your money. And then they've got to convince them, of course, that that's the way to go. And that's well, always the most difficult part, <laughs> as you can well appreciate. That's, that's where you earn the years, money. Yes. Yeah, that's where you earn your money. But yeah, being an internal consultant, like you said, there's the politics. You're uh, having to look out for your own job, right? I know if, if I'm an external consultant and I say something that I tell the the business that their baby is ugly, I tell them that they are the cause of the problems within the business. I may get fired. I'll have a job the next day. I don't have to worry. But a lot of people internally, that's that's tough. They have to they have to play the that politics game. Yep. And while I was working, particularly Crayola, I had to make some decisions that were not the most popular within uh, the Crayola organization. But I stood up for them. Uh, whether that helped or hurt me in my career, I can't tell you. But I always felt that that was important to tell people really what, again, needed to be told, not what people necessarily want to be told. Because if you tell them everything is okay and it's not, you're going to get found out at some point, okay? Sure. And and you lose credibility. Uh, but telling them some unpleasant news is not always the best either. Uh, some folks don't take very kindly to that. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it's a tough thing. But I, I always felt that I, uh, I stood up for what I really believed in. I got yelled at once by vice president who uh, I, I was taking opposition to what he wanted to do. And he, he cursed at me and said, you think you're the smartest guy in this organization? And I said, no, uh, but I know what I know. And I know what I can stand for and believe in and what I will do and won't do. And uh, we just have a disagreement on yeah. uh, on this particular item. So Yeah, something similar. I had a, a president of one of the companies, smaller company, and uh, yelled at me the same thing. He goes, you think you're so smart? I said, no. The smartest guy I know hired me to come in and tell him what I thought. Mm-hmm. And he goes, who was that? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, that was you. That was you. That was you. Ooh, so probably made him really happy, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it calmed things down a little bit, but uh, uh yeah, yeah, it all worked out. Um, so strategic planning, facility planning, and continuous improvement. Now, continuous improvement was big a few years back. Now it's more what on the lean six sigma stuff. Is that? Well, it depends on what you want to call it. I still like to go by continuous improvement. Um, because the other stuff, you know, you constantly get people who come out with the latest and the greatest idea, and it's a spinoff of what's already there, and they add their little wrinkle to it uh, and then sell it, and, and people go, oh, well, that's tremendous, and you're looking at it and going, well, it's kind of the same thing I was doing before. In fact, a very brilliant man, one of the most brilliant people I ever uh, met and talked to, Dr. Joseph Duran, uh, when I got to meet him, and he said to myself and a colleague I was with, so what is it that you folks do? And my friend says, well, we do JIT and SPC and uh, QC. And so he rattled off about 10 different things. And Duran looked at us and he says, it sounds like you have alphabet soup. Yeah. <laughs> like, whoa. And I'm standing there going, oh, please don't say anymore. Don't say anymore. Don't say. He said, pick one thing do it well, do it right. He says, and that's all you need to do. Don't go chasing all the latest fads and that because it's exactly what they are. 
He says, and you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. He says, if you're doing it and you're doing it well, then you're doing it right. And that always stuck with me. And in fact, I wrote an article about that called Pick Your Path. And that's it. Stop chasing the latest fads. And, and you hear that sometimes. People yeah. will say, oh, that's the flavor of the month club. You ever hear that in, in oh, companies? Yes. Okay, oh, where they started the new, yeah. And people go, uh, give it a month, it'll go away. They'll find the next one. So don't worry about it. You don't want that to happen. You want a program that people are going to want to work on, that they, they see the benefits of and will stick with instead of jumping around all, right. all over the place. You can add to the program because there are new techniques that come out. and You can fold those in. But to just scrap one program for the next one is ridiculous. Right. So I like to go by continuous improvement, even though, yes, Lean and Six Sigma or Lean Six Sigma are the very popular uh, terms nowadays for programs. Yeah. But, and it's the same in project management, right? Everybody's got their own methodology. Oh, ours is a six-step methodology. Well, mine's a seven-step. Well, theirs is an eight-step. What are you missing? It's like, it's all the same. It's all right. the same. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. the companies put their spin on it. Absolutely. Um, sells money, sells product. Absolutely. That's yeah. the name of the game. So absolutely. I was looking at uh, reading one of your articles, the 10 reasons why lean initiatives fail. Yes. Yeah. Why do they <laughs> fail? I mean, almost every project that yeah, I was an organizational change management mm-hmm. uh, consultant and they would tell us, yeah, every project fails because the organizational change piece doesn't work. Right. Or, or most change initiatives fail, which, to me, is kind of defeating. I don't want to go in and tell a client that most change initiatives fail because I've just talked myself out of a job, you know? Yeah. But what is it about the lean initiatives that causes well, so I've much had problem? that where I've actually asked clients before I've gotten started, are you really committed to doing what, you know, you're, you're going to have to do and, and the recommendations? And of course, they'll always say yes. And then you'll find out later whether that's true or not. Um, but that's one of the things is commitment. Uh, in a lot of cases, they're not committed. Uh, too many people want this magic wand. They think that we're magicians, that we wave something and everything miraculously is okay. And it's not. You didn't get to the place you were at overnight. Uh, things happened over a period of time. And it's going to take some time to correct them. And and there's going to be different things that you're going to have to do, some which you may not be so pleasant, but you got to do it. And that may mean getting rid of some people or changing habits or whatever the case may be. So they're really not committed. They say they are, but then when you tell them what they need to do, all of a sudden there's 9 million excuses. Why not? Um, Sometimes it's ownership. Uh, If you go into smaller companies where you're dealing with the owner, uh, there's a real ego involved. You know, this is my baby. I brought this up. Uh, I brought it to where it's at today. Uh, and you're not going to tell me, well, why did you bring me in in the first place if I'm not right. going to tell you? That's exactly what I do for a living is to tell people what to do. Uh, and with good sound reason, I'm not just going to shoot from the hip. I'm going to ha- have facts and, and so forth to, to follow it. Um, but there, there's that ego problem that's involved. Yeah. Some people you deal with just aren't too bright. I hate to say it. They don't get it. Okay, yeah. you, you can talk till you're blue in the face and they have uh, you might as well be talking Swahili to them or, or some, you know, some alien language because they, they just don't get it. They don't see what you're trying to get. That's just the way it is sometimes. And, and you say, how did you ever get in business and why are you still in business? Because with that attitude and, and that knowledge base, it, it's just not going to go anywhere. 
Uh, sometimes they're cheap. It's going to cost money in order to fix some things. And companies don't want to spend money. They're on a tight budget. And uh, again, they think that everything's going to happen for nothing. Well, some things are, but other things aren't. Uh, take an easy route. Uh, you know, uh, too many programs fail because people do the things that are easy to do, but not things that are necessary to do. Yes. Uh, and then they wonder why, you know, after they've spent all that time, they didn't get the results that they expected. Well, you worked on the wrong stuff. Yeah, yeah there, there's little things, but they, they turn, turn, bring out little improvements. You want to find the real causes, the root cause, and really fix that. Uh, and then there's the, the change aspect. We are creatures of habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of us really likes to change. You know, we feel uncomfortable because we've gotten into our comfort zone. We've done it for such a long time. And, and we know that we need to make that change, but yet we're reluctant to do it because again, you know, dancing with the devil that yeah. you know, versus the devil, you don't know that type of thing. Sure. Um, and, and they're afraid to make change. So they say they will, but when it comes time to do it, they don't do what's necessary. Yeah. I think last is they think that you're going to be the savior. You're not. You're part of the solution. But at the end of the day, if they don't take hold of ownership, if they don't do the things that are necessary and continue them, then it's not. Go- it may succeed for a very short space of time, but as soon as you out- walk out the door, it'll all fold very quickly. And, and, and I try to get that across to clients. It's really up to you. I'm here to help you, mm-hmm. but help, not do, help. All right. I will instruct you. I will teach you. I will get in and get my hands dirty with you. But that day will come where I will stop doing that and I'm going to walk away. And if you're not committed and continue to do it, it's not going to succeed over the long term. So so those were just some of the things. I know I said 10. I didn't think I I hit 10, but I hit quite a few. I think you hit the big Yeah. Biggies. Hit the, the biggest ones. Absolutely. Yeah. As far as change, I, you know, I, I, I kind of disagree. People we're used to change. Change happens around us all the time. We change all the time. Um, how many different cell phones have you had? Right. It's like every one of those represented a change, either change in the, uh, the product itself, the operating system, change in the contract, but you knew going in the pros and cons you knew the benefits you were going to get out of this. So it was an easy transition to make. I think where businesses make uh, make the mistake is not sharing. Here's our plan. Here's our, our strategy for doing it, why we're doing it, and what it's going to mean to each one of you. And I think people are, they don't mind being, they don't, they don't mind change. They don't like being changed. And I think too many times these programs feel like they're being forced on the people without any input. Um, yeah, to a degree. Uh, because they're not properly communicated, which can be a, a big shortcoming too. Uh, they're not uh, aware of what really is going to happen. They weren't alerted to it, and nobody likes to have it go boom on them. But, right. You know, there, there can be a gradual working up to it. Um, I, I don't disagree with you that uh, you know change is pretty much in our culture these days, but there's still a big reluctance. You get into some people and then, and you tell them this is what you're going to need to do. And they say, oh, no, that's not what we do. We do it this way. And we've always done it this way. Yeah. Uh, and, ooh, you just want to tear your hair out when they say that. 
um, because yeah. those are the companies that tends to go under because they didn't change when they needed to. Uh, they didn't stay up with the times. They tried to operate the way they had been 10 years ago. And 10 years is a lifetime anymore in industry for, for things. Um, and, and they didn't make the, the adaptations that they needed to make. And, and the, uh, they got hurt. Uh, I tend to use Blockbuster. Remember Blockbuster? Mm -hmm. oh, Blockbuster yeah. was all over the place. We constantly Perfect went example. to Blockbuster. <laughs> Ain't no more Blockbusters anymore. But what you hear is Netflix, because Netflix came in and made it easy for you to get your hands on those uh, uh, movies and, mm -hmm. and shows and whatever else you wanted to. Blockbuster didn't adapt to it. By the time they tried to, it was too late, and Netflix just blew them right out of the water. I mean, there's a, a very big example, current example of that. And, and there are others I'm sure we could come up with to talk about. Uh, when you see it coming, you better react to it and you better react pretty quickly uh, and enforce. I mean, Walmart, Walmart is one of the biggest retailers in the U.S. Who are they being um, uh, beat upon by? Amazon. Mm -hmm. So they have had to adapt and there's a lot of on uh, online ordering that goes through Walmart and they will deliver. You know, I just saw they'll do, deliver your groceries as many times as you want to and for free. And uh, they had to adapt because yeah. they were the big kahuna and they were dictating to the marketplace. Now they're the ones that are, are combating uh, the, the bigger giant than them, which is Amazon. So yeah. uh, they, they're learning to adapt, too. No, Absolutely. Yeah, and with the the ten questions at the beginning, uh, the my least favorite word is when somebody says, "This is how we've always done it." Yes. That to me is a kiss of death. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All right, so tell me about your books. What about the vermin problem? Tell me how they got started. Okay, what about the vermin problem? That was years in the making, and it didn't start as a book. It started more as as got through some interesting experiences with clients, mostly client companies. Um, myself and colleagues would say, you know, someday that needs to be in a book. That story needs to be in a book. We need to talk about that. Uh, and we kept saying that. And I kept that stuff in, in my head and, and kept thinking about it. Well, when I retired, and I put quotes around that, because some people say I haven't retired yet. I've been as busy as when I was working full time. <laughs> I said, well, now's the time to, to put that down on paper and get it out. So I started to. And what I did is I came up with 12 stories and I, <clears throat> I kind of put them into different categories. And uh, since I'm so clever, I borrowed uh, Clint Eastwood's The Good, the Bad and the Ugly, me and about nine billion other people. <laughs> Everybody uses that. But anyway, um, and the good were the good stories, things where companies did very, very well and, and uh succeeded okay uh and it was really pleasant then there was the bad where companies didn't quite do what they should have they did it to a degree but not quite and they continued to have some problems it wasn't company um uh, threatening where the company was going to go out of business but they continued to have some problems because that still had some good, but a lot of problems. And then there was the ugly where they just didn't pay attention. Like I said, you know, mm -hmm. they would fight with you and argue with you. And this is the way I'm going to do it. And this is my business. And who are you to tell me? And, and uh, in a couple of cases, the companies actually went out of business because of uh, what they did do or didn't do as the case may be. So I, I came up with this collection and I wrote it. And then I, 
I found somebody because I didn't know what to do next. I had this manuscript uh, and she directed me to uh, to tie it all together and, you know, how to to, 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 to stage the stuff and so forth. Uh, and I worked with an editor and we we got it all done and, and we published the book. And it nice. basically what the, the gist is there is um, the good could be the ugly. The ugly could be the good. It all depends on what actions you take, what decisions you make, how you act and react to things. So there's a fine line between being good and being ugly and, and bad being in the middle of those things. So it's not to tell people, well, there's more bad and ugly in this world than there is good. It's to say, here are the stories. Uh, you, you, you make up your mind. Okay, as you have to make similar decisions, which way are you going to act and react? Uh, if you don't act properly, you could wind up on the bad side. If you do, chances are good you're going to wind up on the good side. So uh, that's what that book was about, was to get that stuff off my chest. After years of collecting this stuff, <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about it and I got it out. So, so give me an example. Give me one of the stories. Okay, well, uh, the one I like to use best is because people will say to me, well, that's an interesting title. Is that about exterminators? And what kind of vermin are you talking about? Are you talking about rats and, and whatever? And I'll say, well, it's about people. Okay, and I wouldn't call them rats because none of the people I dealt with, I think, were terrible people. They just had a different way of doing things. But in there, uh, the one section is what about the vermin problem? And the the topic really deals with communication or lack of communication. Okay. Myself and a colleague were working with a company on a project. They wanted to expand their business. The question was whether they expanded their current facility and they were allowed to add on about 1,500 square feet or so forth or go to a, a totally new location, whatever the case may be. Uh, and we worked with them for about seven months on this project. Now, in that time, we like to get a lot of information from companies that we use and how big and, you know, where, what are you heading into? What, what are going to be new things that you're going to be adding and what are going to be old things that you're going to take away and, and all that stuff? And we would get information, but then they would change it and it would be different. And then they'd throw stuff in we didn't want. They wouldn't give us stuff that we did. So it was kind of a, a tough go throughout. But anyway, finally said, enough is enough. This is the information we're going to go with. This is the plan we're going to come up with. So we sit down to have a meeting with the uh, owners to talk about the strategy. And the idea was to add, add on to the building with the 1,500 square feet, but to move things around within the building. So we were going to put production where the warehousing was and warehousing where the production was for better flow and so forth. And as we're going through it, uh, that the, the main owner says, what about the vermin problem? And there's this hush. And I look at my colleague and he looks at me and we kind of do one of those, you know, shoulder shrug type of things. And we said, vermin problem. And he says, well, you know, we're in an old mill, which they were, but it is, you know, had been in production with other stuff for a long time. He says, and we still have some vestiges of the grains and stuff that were milled. Uh, and we still have vermin in the facility. And we're thinking, well, have you ever heard of, an exterminator and we've been in enough food facilities and if you've ever been in one you'll see that they have traps for the different animals and so forth and and they're always spraying for you know bugs and that because food will attract that that kind of stuff 
he says, and right where you want to put the production is where the vermin tend to congregate. Okay, but that's where you store all your materials. So they're congregating on the materials that you're processing, and you're concerned about processing them with vermin in there. So needless to say, the project kind of blew up, okay? They didn't accept the stuff that we came up with. They didn't like where we placed things and so forth. And we walked out going, and when were they going to tell us about this vermin problem? We worked with them for months upon months upon months, and this never came up as an issue. Oh, you're going to have to deal with that because we certainly would have. Well, let's get an exterminator in or let's put traps in or whatever the case may be in order to deal with that stuff. And by the way, you got an immediate problem. If you got vermin in your plant, I don't care where they're hiding out at, they're in the plant. So it was about communication. And again, good communication is a, a big success to projects. I, I, I see that as one of the paramount things. And, and I'm not just talking about like we're doing here where we're, we're talking back to each other. But as we're talking to each other, there's an acknowledgement about what's being said, right. just like you're doing. You're shaking right. your head up and yes, down. Yes, yep. yes. So you're acknowledging what I'm saying. Now, you may not necessarily agree with what I'm saying, but you're at least acknowledging it. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I understand it. Uh, by, I may have a different viewpoint of that. And, and in fact, you are putting some of that stuff out. Mm -hmm. And we discuss it back and forth. So we have an understanding about what's been said. And then we take some action on it. Okay, we do something about it. Right. If I just talk to you and you sit there, shrug your shoulders or, or don't act at all, and, and we move on. And later on, you do something completely different. And, and it's in opposition to what I talked about. And I say, well, don't you remember what we talked about? And you go, well, not really. You know, well, you were listening to me, but we weren't communicating. So communication really, to me, has those components to it. It's message sent message received, message understood, doing something about message, right. okay? And, yes. and we come to an understanding about that, and that's true communication. So again, if they had communicated with us, we could have included that in our work, and, and we probably would have had a more successful uh, result on the project. Uh, and unfortunately, we didn't. Uh, we, we left uh, not as the best of friends after the project was over. We offered to do some more work for them now that we had that information. They said, no, no, that's okay. All right. And we weren't going to charge them for it. We said, well, you already hate us, but this is, you know, new important information that we would have liked to have had. Wow. So, so that was just one instance of it. Uh, if you'd like, I can talk about some others. Uh, but uh, well, I like want to I take said, some there time. Were Twelve different stories in there. So, oh yeah, no, the uh, communication is huge. So that yes, I think that's absolutely. A, an absolutely great. So, tell me about influences and influencers. Okay, I only intended to write one book. <laughs> All right, I really did. I had no idea about doing a second. I had gotten stuff off my chest, but as I was going through with this, this lady, uh, her name is Rena Carcillo, uh, and she's a terrific person, great marketing person, and, and she's written a couple of books, so she's provided some great guidance to me. Uh, she said, well, you know, nobody ever writes just one book. And I looked at her and went, oh, yeah? <laughs> You just met one. And she goes, no, no, really. You know, so the more I thought about it and a couple other things happened in my life. And I went, 
okay, yeah, maybe I can do a second one. But now I didn't really have the background like I did for the first one. But I started to think about it. And I thought about what got me to the point that I'm at today. And it was really through my experiences, uh, dealing with people, uh, my parents, my uh, professors, my teachers, my colleagues at work, my bosses at work, the executives who weren't, you know, they might have been my boss's bosses and that, and the influences they had on me uh, to to get me to where I was at and get me thinking the way I'm thinking and acting the way I'm acting and, and why I advise people the way I, I do and, and so forth. Uh, and I started to, to pull out all the stuff and start to think about people that I hadn't thought about in a while that I really should have because they had a tremendous impact on me, on my life. Um, my advisor in college, who was the department chair, was a tremendous uh, asset to me. Um, he got me scholarships I didn't even know about until all of a sudden in my post office box, it would show up. Congratulations. You just got this scholarship. Where'd that come from? Dr. Keebler had put it, my name in for it and I got it. Never said a word about it. Okay. Never told me about it. It would just showed up. Uh, my last year in, in school, uh, I paid no tuition because I was on a complete scholarship, all because of the work Dr. Keebler had done. When it came time to graduate, I wanted to go to graduate school, and I was talking to him about it because I loved where I was at, and I loved him. And he said, you know, we have a limit on our graduate program. I really think you need to go to another school, he said, uh, because they'll probably have a bigger program than us. You'll also get a different perspective on things. He said, once you com complete it, if you want to come back and study here, We'll love to have you. He said, it's not like we're kicking you out because we don't want you, but I just think that it's better for you if you do that. That was tremendous. Again, maybe not what I wanted to hear, but what I needed to hear, and I did. So I wound up going to Lehigh University and, and had a wonderful time there. Uh, I had a wonderful advisor there who did my thesis, Wally Richardson, uh, one of the most practical people that I uh, had ever come across, one of the smartest people, but you would not know it because he didn't brag about it. He just did it. And you could see it, you know, uh, just common sense. And, and he was a tremendous asset. And he took me through my thesis that did a great job. We talked about it. Um, and he said to me at one time, he said, you know, you're going to make him a lot of money in life. He says, and you know why? He says, because you have a lot of knowledge and people will pay you for that knowledge. I was like, wow. And then, uh, you know, out into the working and, and there were others. Those are just a couple out into the working world. I had some great bosses, Bill Clymer, uh, one of the best bosses I, I think uh, I've ever had and, and people have ever had, always encouraging, uh, always allowing me to do stuff, never allowing me to get too much trouble, just enough where I learned from it, um, but was always encouraging me to, uh, to try things and do things. Um, and, uh, and also looked out for me. At one point he came in, he says, you know, I see what we hired you for. He said, and that was ridiculous. You were, you were paid way too little. He says, so you're getting an immediate salary increase. How many bosses do you know do that? <laughs> Not <anymore>? nearly enough. <laughs> Not nearly enough, but that, wow. that was the way he operated. Nice. Like, again, I never brought it up. I was perfectly satisfied. I thought I was doing pretty well. And he said, we didn't do right by you. Nice. Wow. 
know, that type of thing. So there's those kind of people in life who are looking out for you, whether you realize it or not. And you try to emulate them. You say, how they treated me is how I want to treat other people. And then you get the not so good people, you know, the people that tried to give you the shaft or putting you on or, or, you know, whatever the case may be. And you find them out and you go, that's not the way I want to act. That's not the kind of person I want to be. So you take, you take your lessons from all of that and you develop your, your thought process and you never let that end. Okay. It doesn't suddenly stop one day and go, okay, I have enough knowledge and, and, and that, and that's the way I'm going to be. I continually learn. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, and I think you need to, uh, because as you said, it's a changing world. And if we yeah. don't stay with it, okay. Um, we're going to lose. All right. We're going to be left behind. And I don't want to be left behind. As long as I can draw breath, I want to be part of the action and, and, and know what's going on. So, so that was that. And I think that that plays into the first one, because if that sets your background, then that helps you with the decisions that you make, whether it's on communication or, or um, commitment or, or whatever the case may be. You've learned that through your lessons. You've learned that through watching people and, and how they, they succeeded or didn't succeed based on those things. And, and that drives you and, and, and it should drive you. So uh, that was the genesis for that. Now, yes. my sneaky person, Rena, didn't out, come out directly and say, you really need to write a third book, although she has uh, at some point. <laughs> she wants me to write a book about all my experiences at Crayola because she thinks okay. that... I have, well, and I do have a lot of stories. I mean, I met some fantastic people there and had some great experiences. But anyway, what she said to me is this year, 2021, I want you to write uh, an article a month wow. for the year. Okay. I said, okay. So I thought about it and I said, hmm, if I do that, that's 12 articles. And that's about the number of chapters there usually are in my book. So I know where she's headed with this. So about two or three weeks ago, we had a session where we got together and I said to her, you know, you probably think that I don't know what's going on, but I kind of figured it out after like the first month. You got me writing book number three, don't you? She started laughing. <laughs> and I said, you don't play poker very well because you don't have a good poker face. I said, and so this one is uh, the uh, overall title is what keeps you awake at night. And you can appreciate that as a yes, consultant. Absolutely. Uh, because how many times have we said to clients when they said things are bothering me, but I can't put my finger on it. What keeps you awake at night? Yep. What are the things or thing that bothers you the most that you spend the most amount of time on? And it's still a headache. Okay. You can't seem to solve it. Uh, and you may actually be awake at night, tossing and turning in bed, thinking about it. And I had a couple of instances like that in, in my professional career. And I talked about it, the first article I wrote was about that, my personal experiences, two things that kept me awake at night. Uh, but now I'm delving into other things that, that keep people awake at night for, for various reasons and what they can do about it. All right. Nice. What the solutions can be, how they can address it, how they can deal with it. So uh, we're in month eight now, nine now. So Ooh. I guess I've got nine written so far. So three to go. When I get to the end of the year, Rena will <laughs> say to me, well, guess what? You have your next yep. book written. So let's put it together and get it out. But anyway. So, so we're looking uh, at spring, probably next year. 
I still haven't committed to that yet. Okay. I All still right. haven't committed to <laughs> issuing another book. I will just have written one, but whether we publish it and send it out, but yeah, chances are good she'll convince me to do it because hey nice. put all that time and effort in and why not so absolutely anyway so that's what i've been up to so that's what Very the books cool. are all about so anybody who's interested if they're great reads they're only about 120 125 pages long they're in nice. english they're understandable they're relatable you read them and i guarantee you you will go he's writing about me nice. he's writing about me and some <laughs> of the relationships i have with people or some of the the people i've come across that did some interesting things in, in their lives or in my life. Uh, and, and I get a lot of that from people and they go, wow, you know, I wish right. I had known that. I said, yeah. well, you know what now is so to do something with it. Do something you know? with it. Exactly. Absolutely. So uh, you, how many employees do you have working for you right now? Just me. Just you. I'm okay. it. You're, you're looking but, at my entire organization. <laughs> <laughs> all in the same room. We're That's all great. in the same room together. Yeah. Yes. Social distance, would you? Um, the uh, so and then working at uh, Coca Cola or not Coca Cola? I'm sorry, Crayola. Crayola. About how many employees at different times? You had different people working for you. Um, I would say the most I had was probably about well, when I was the operations director directly, I had about six, but then they had people under them, you know. So I probably influenced a couple hundred people at a time. Nice. Um through what we were doing operationally and, and projects and so sure. forth. Typically, probably 10 to 15 uh, in engineering and quality and, and, and things along those lines, uh, R&D. Okay. And if I was to bump into any of these people right now yes. and talk to them about you and your leadership style, what would they say? Mm -hmm. what, what kind of leader would you say you are? Um, I would think that they would say that I treated them as individuals but I treated each of them fairly, okay. not equally. And I hate that word yes. equally. Okay. Um, and, and I had somebody who came up to me, one of the people and said, you know, you treat each of us differently. And I said, absolutely. Because you're all different individuals. Mm -hmm. You all have your strengths and your weaknesses. I try to play to your strengths and to keep the weaknesses to the side and, and not give you things that you're going to have difficulty with, but that you're going to succeed at. Um, for instance, I had one engineer, he hated to go on the drawing board. He hated to draw stuff, yeah. but he could talk it through. He would talk with the mechanics. They, they would talk stuff through. They would go out. He would point. They would, he was terrifically successful. So if I had projects that I needed quickly and we didn't have time to go on the, the drawing board, which they don't have anymore now, it's all AutoCAD and you know, right. whatever, <laughs> uh, 3D modeling and so forth. But back then we had drawing boards and pencils and T-squares and triangles and all that good stuff. I gave those to Joe. I had another guy who had to go on the drawing board. That was the way he thought and dealt. So if I had a longer term project and we could afford the time and I thought that it was necessary and we needed to have that kind of documentation, then I gave it to Chuck and Chuck was great. And then I had people in between. I had people like Jim um, who was very creative, but never was really drawn out. And I gave him all sorts of challenging projects. In yes. fact, the one that kept me awake at night uh, and he was terrific. Oh, did he blossom? Didn't want to talk about things with people. So I never put him in front of a crowd to have to talk about things because he just wasn't comfortable with it. But man, could he come up with great ideas. And, and he nice. was one of the most quiet people, um, but one of the brightest people I knew. And, and uh, you know, so I treated each of them 
to their strengths and what they did, but I treated them fairly and they got Perfect. compensated according to that. And, and in most cases, pretty even to each other because I, I demanded a lot from them and they produced. They knew exactly what was necessary. So I was fair. I was even for them. Uh, I think I communicated well. They knew exactly where they stood, what they needed to do, what made me happy, what made me unhappy. And I also made them make decisions. If anybody hesitated, I said, a decision is going to be made. Now, either you're going to make it or I'm going to make it. If I make it, you're going to live with my decision and it's going to be your decision. I said, and you really probably don't want that. Now, do you? And they look at me and they would make a decision. So they knew that you couldn't sit there and, and kind of, you know, take a, a, a straddling the fence position right. or whatever. You had to make a decision on things. And I respect them to do that. Sure. But treating them individually, I think, is key. A lot of business owners um, and, and leaders don't do that individually, but fairly. I, I told the story one time uh, with one of my clients. Uh, I grew up with three brothers. So when the four of us, one of us would get in trouble for something. My mom would line all four of us up and we'd all get whipped. And he goes, well, that's not fair. And I said, well, same thing with your employees. If one employee is doing something wrong, pull that one employee aside and talk to them. You don't you know, demean everybody. You don't yell at everybody, right? Each individual. And if the other thing I saw, and I agree with that, and I did it before I saw it. If I had a problem with somebody, we did it behind closed doors. Yes. And if I had to chew him out or her out, it was done behind closed doors. And when yes. we walked out, we had our arms around each other and we had an understanding. But if there was praise to be given, yes. it was done in public. Perfect. Okay. Uh, so they knew exactly where they stood. So nobody ever wanted to go behind the closed door because they knew that wasn't <laughs> the, the good time. Yeah. But, but I would never embarrass them in front of anybody else. Okay. Good. When they were out, they were my best friend and, and they were the brightest person in the room as far as I was concerned. And I played them up and, and not, not because they didn't deserve it. Okay. If they did something wrong and we all do something wrong, I mean, again, Bill Clymer used to say to me, his favorite saying was, why do they put erasers on the end of pencils? Mm -hmm. and for those who don't know what a pencil is, it's this thing with carbon <laughs> in there that you write on pieces of paper. Okay. And you can't erase them with, them. Uh, but anyway, and he said, because we all make mistakes. And it was like, wow. So he was saying, it's okay to make a mistake, erase it, put the right thing down. So don't leave it there for somebody else to fix. You made the mistake, correct it. Learn from it. Learn okay. from it. As long as you learn, then that mistake was not for naught, right? And that's what I tried to get across with my folks. So if they made a mistake, we talked about it, we corrected it, we moved on. Very cool. In, in private. Absolutely. In private. You know, that's, that's a huge thing with me too. And I, I learned that years ago. Yeah. Praise in public and punish in private. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about courage. Where did you find the courage to do all the things you do. You were one of the founders of ESPI, correct? You're yes. a speaker, which yes. scares the, you know, what out of most people. You've yes. written a couple books, a uh, third one on the way. Where did you find that courage? Um, I guess I was always encouraged to take chances. Okay. Um, you know, some people will say I refuse to make a decision. Well, not making a decision is making a decision. Yes. Okay. And there are consequences to it. So I figured the more that I had control of that and could influence what that decision was going to be, probably it would work to my betterment. 
if I did that, then allowing other people to make decisions on my behalf. And then I just had to follow them. And then I really had no recourse to complain about it because again, I deferred to them just like I told my people, you know, if you don't make the decision, I will, you're going to have to live with it. I don't think you want to do that. Well, I didn't want to have that happen to me. Right. Uh, I also always felt there was a sense of right and wrong that there were certain things that were just wrong that shouldn't be done. Okay. Certainly if they're illegal and immoral, and I would never do that. And I don't think I ever had anybody who did that with me and asked me to do that. But there were certain decisions that I just disagreed with. Like the one I said with the, the, the vice president, where he said to me, you think you're the smartest guy in the company. I had a, dis I had a, a disagreement with him on what he wanted to do. I really felt strongly about it. And, what, and basically what I told him is, I'm not going to do that because it's going to be a waste of time and money. You're not going to be happy with it. You asked me to tell you this stuff just because you're unhappy with the decision right now. Uh, you know, down the road, we can talk about it again. And, and it went away. Nobody ever did it then, uh, what he asked me to do. Huh. Um, but anyway, so I, I felt that there was a sense of right and wrong, and I was going to do the thing that I could live with. All right. When all was said and done, yes. that... <sighs> Um, it may not be the best in the world, but I could live with it. All right. Uh, as opposed to doing something I totally objected to. And, and when you ask people to do that, you're not going to get good work out of them. They're going right. to fight a tooth and nail and they're going to prove to you that it wasn't a good idea. So why go pushing it? All right. Listen to your people when they tell you, I don't think you want to do that. All yeah. right. They're not doing it to hurt you. They're doing it because... Yeah. They, know they dig their some, heels in. There's some there's reason some dire for that. consequences. Yeah. Yes. So, so um, yeah. And it's not an easy thing to do. But no. sometimes you will buck up against people who have more power than you. OK, uh, even they, they may not be smarter than you. They may be telling you to do the wrong thing, but they have more power and they can make your life miserable. And I had that happen to me. Hmm. But it was just I need to be able to live with myself. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and if I can't do that, then it's not worth doing. I'd rather quit. Exactly. Than to, to be forced to do something that I, I really object to and that I think could, could be harmful. That's good. So, and I admire that. That's, that's awesome. So you've talked about a couple different types of courage. Um, the social courage to say what needs to be said, when and even if it's unpopular, the moral courage, doing what's right, even if that goes against everybody else. Um, the disciplined courage, have a, have a plan and follow that plan. You talked about the intellectual courage, always, always looking for new information because there's always new stuff out there, right? Yes. Is there one of those you think is, is more important than another? I think it all depends on the circumstance. You know, each one comes into play at a different time. Uh, so, uh, you know, depending on where you're at and what's going on, that one will come into play and that's the most important. Uh, if there was one that was more predominant than, than others, I think it was the moral courage. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to have a set of morals. Yes. When you see somebody who's all over the place and one day they're saying one thing and the next day they're saying something exactly the opposite, mm -hmm. that's a person to worry about, okay? Yes. Because they, they are taking no stand. Uh, they have no solid foundation. Uh, they can uh, turn on you in an instant. OK, uh, even if you were agreeing with them two minutes before. Uh, so they are very dangerous people and, and you don't want to deal with that. You still have to be flexible. All right. Uh, so, again, I continue to learn. I continue to get other perspectives. There are times when 
Uh, it wasn't my total decision as to way to do stuff, but people convinced me that there was a better way to do it. And I went with it. Um, but they convinced me, they had to convince me. I didn't just do it for the sake of going along with the crowd. Um, but when you say no, like I did with Terry that time, I'm not going to do this because I just know that it's wrong. That's tough. That's tough. tough. Terry could have made my life miserable. He didn't, he wasn't happy with me. We didn't talk for a while, but anyway, um, you know, and, and a lot of people don't want to do that. People don't like to not be liked. They want to be exactly. liked. Okay. Yes. So they yeah. will do things just to be liked. Yeah. Because in order to be liked, I had a guy who was like that. And I wrote another article about that. What, which is more important being friendly or being respected, you know, being liked or being respected. And to me, it's being respected. Yes. Um, when people realize that you have a, a firm moral base and, and there are certain things that they're not going to get you to do that you're going to resist, but you're going to come up with a good reason why they will respect you. They may not like you for it because, again, they want you to do what they want you to do uh, or say what they want you to say. Uh, I had uh, one guy like that. I followed him to quality and he wanted to do something and I didn't agree with it. So I agreed to give him one of my technicians to work with him uh, to do whatever it was he wanted to. He says, and whatever we come out with, then uh, you will support it. Right. And I said, no. <laughs> he went, what do you mean? No. And I said, if I don't agree with what you come out with, I'm not going to support it. He goes, well, you have to. And I said, no, I don't. No. Um, I said, because it could be totally wrong. I'm giving you what you wanted. You wanted somebody to work with you and, and do something. It's on you. OK, yeah. and if you fail, because I knew what was going to happen, if it failed, he was going to point back at me and say, well, right. Pete agreed with it. You know, it wasn't going to be, well, I made that decision. It was going to be, well, he agreed with it. And he was going to put it all back on me. And I went, no, you're not. Now, if it, if I agree with it and everything is fine, yeah, then I'll endorse it. Sure. But if not, just because I gave you a guy to work on, it doesn't mean that I'm going to say, oh, yeah, whatever you come up with is going to be a OK. Exactly. Uh, so he was one of the people I you know, had to keep an eye on and, and not act like, um, because I, I, he, he was kind of underhanded. Yeah. So I, I think the moral part is, is the big thing as, as far as, as courage goes, because that's the one you, you can get banged the most for. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, like I said, you're a speaker, founder of the company, written two books, possible third one on the way. What's next for you? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm teaching right now, which is also in there. I'm teaching project management and I'm having a great time with that. Uh, I continue to look at opportunities. Uh, you know, if, if an opportunity comes along to do some consulting with a company, uh, then I'll do that. Uh, I continue to write. So I continue to think about things that are interesting. Uh, usually when the dog and I go on a walk, we talk about things and I go, Oh, that'd be interesting. So he has a great influence on me. Um, another book, <laughs> hardest dog I ever had. Yeah, there's know? another book. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I really don't know. Uh, I've got a grandchild on the way in That's another it. week or so. So I'm sure that'll take up a bit of my wife sure. and my time, uh, visiting and, and spending time with the, the grandchild, uh, which would be great. Um, I just kind of take life as it is. Uh, I will always stay busy. Uh, with yeah, things not ready to retire. 
Not ready to not retire ready. yet. Well, retirement, you know, I'm retired from the fact that I'm not going in and doing the same things that I did before and, and, and having to deal with clients on a daily basis. Uh, I get to pick and choose a bit more of what I want to do and, and not do as the case may be. Because right. um, people who say, oh, I work for myself, you never work for yourself. If you have clients, you're working for the client. Exactly. Okay? Let's, let's be honest about it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I may not work in a corporation and have a president over me, but guess what? I, I'm still working for somebody. Um, uh, exactly. But I get to pick and choose what I want to do and, and what I don't want to do. Um, and uh, I'm enjoying it. You know, I have a good time. And if, if I decide I want to travel a bit more, then I'll put all, everything else aside and we'll travel a bit more. So, Excellent. yeah. You definitely, definitely have it going on. This is awesome. Hey, um, that's so what people, life's all about, right? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. 100%. 100%. So if people want to get in touch with you or want to reach out to you, where can they find you? What's your okay. website? Do you have a website? Uh, my website is Pete. So get rid of the R. So it's Pete. Because uh, again, Rena decided that it should be Pete. So instead okay. of Peter, Pete Christian Books. So it's all one word. PeteChristianBooks.com is my website. Uh, lots of articles in there, information about me, uh, ways you can get in touch with me. You can send me messages and so forth. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. I have okay. a pretty decent presence on LinkedIn. Peter Christian. Uh, there are a lot of Peter Christians out in the world, believe it or not. Very popular name. Um, by the way, I found out that Christian was not my family name. It got changed back in the early 1900s uh, during the First World War. They anglicized it because my great-grandfather didn't want to, you know, be uh, put upon as being a German immigrant. So he uh -huh. changed it to Christian. So it is not Christian, which is a very English name. Yeah. Um, but Peter Christian, if you see uh, adjunct professor, author, consultant, you're, you're, that's probably me. I don't think everybody has the same description. And the last <laughs> one is my email address, which is my initials PH and then Christian with the number 53 at gmail.com. So any awesome. one of those three, you can send me a message. Uh, you can say, I want to talk to you about something, uh, you know, uh, whatever the case may be, and we discuss things. And uh, then we will, uh, we will find time to, to do that. Great. And your books are available from the website? And are they also books available? Are available from the website? Uh, you can get them through amazon.com. Okay. Uh, they both sold very, very well. So uh, they're doing good, which is uh, happy, you know, that people yeah. are reading them and enjoying them. And I use them in my, my classes because there's a lot of lessons in there that you can use as a project manager. So uh, right. uh, again, uh, and they're the least, ex I tell everybody, they're the least expensive textbooks you're ever going to buy at $12.95. <laughs> if anybody's bought a textbook lately, uh, $12.95 doesn't even get oh, to the no. cover. So No, absolutely. Doesn't buy you the bag to carry the book home in. Yeah, really. <laughs> exactly. Well, Peter, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I will have all of your links, the correct LinkedIn link and everything else in the show notes so people can get in touch with you. Great. And uh, yeah, this Thank has been Thank you fun. again for having me. I had a great time. Excellent. No, I did too. And uh, listeners, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now.